I've probably known Rachel for almost all of that service, that 25 years of police service. We first met in Manchester. I think that was where our paths first crossed when uh, I was at Ivy Cottage and she was ministering there. And we've been friends and co-laborers and prayed and assignments and prophesied together and done prayer strikes in various places. And I, I really want us to give Rachel a warm welcome tonight. She's an amazing minister. She is what you see on the tin. What you see is what you get. And she's going to release straight from the heart of the Father tonight to us. So, Lord, I just thank you for Rachel. I thank you for the gift that she is to the body of Christ. I thank you that she's a bridge builder. Lord, I thank you that she is a prophet to the nations. And, Lord, I thank you for all that you've invested in her. So, Lord, as she releases your word tonight, let us be receptive. Let us have our hearts wide open to hear your voice through her in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can see my title because it's come up. And I love it when God just positions you because I know your house, I know you're very prophetic. And when I just felt God say, you're going to talk about leadership and the leadership battle that's going on, not just in Parliament, Westminster, but I believe right over our nation. And I want to try and help us get a bigger picture, better perspective. And we do want to thank you for outstanding leadership. We do. I tell you, if I want someone to help me prophetically and lead any sort of prayer strike, I have no hesitation. Maria knows you're on my watch. (laughs) So leadership battles. I want to look at the bigger picture. You see, many of us, and we have this conversation, we hear it both in the church place, the spiritual space, and in the workspace, wherever it is. We hear statements like, there's a leadership vacuum. Come on, say yes. There is really poor leadership going on here. Have you heard that? Um, There is conflicted leadership. And at this time, we're in a leadership contest. And all these words, if we go actually back to the Bible, are they, is it biblical language? What are we actually sensing in the heavens above? So if we look at the big picture, I believe that God is asking us as the church, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there are alignments that need to come. It was interesting on Tuesday the 18th, which if you go back a little bit, that was one of the leadership contest voting nights when I think we went from five to four, if I remember. And um, I was in the house. I was actually in the House of Lords with some people there. and We were talking and we were praying. And one of the Lords stood up and he said, I just feel that I want to speak about Britain. He said, I believe that Britain has four gifts He says, Britain has been given the gift of time. We set the time for the world. He said, the second gift I believe Britain has is the gift of language. We steward the English language, which is the international global language. And what an incredible privilege that this little island has the language of the world. 
And he said, the third gift that I really believe Britain has is the gift of law. That we set precedents and legal standards and an understanding of what is just and true. And that has been something that the British English system presents. But he said, finally, I would say that Britain has a gift of leadership. But if she doesn't learn to stand, she could lose it. And as he said this, something in me of the spiritual part said, no, we're not about to lose our redemptive calling. You see, again and again, Britain has led the way. Often when we're disconnected, we've realigned to reconnect, to forge a new way. If you think of the Reformation, that's what happened then. Are all the circumstances deeply spiritual or biblical? Usually not. It's a bit of a mess. You can't really look at that history and say, well, it was all deeply spiritually moral. There was a lot of chaos in Henry VIII, but we did disconnect. We did realign. The reformation began to happen of spiritual foundations. And from that, actually, an awakening happened, which repositioned not only Britain and Europe, but actually positioned then all the other nations, redefined what nations was 500 and a bit years ago. And suddenly we find ourselves all over again in a leadership crisis. Britain is doing something unusual. In, out, in, out, shake it all about. (laughs) And it's chaos. But the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is he's able to work with chaos. And if you read your Bibles, right in Genesis chapter 1, and he looked at the earth and it was void and there was chaos and the Holy Spirit broods over it and can create something. So I want us to look for a bigger picture. I want us to be very careful about our language. I want us to be very careful about what we say about leadership. Because if we really believe our Bibles, the Bible says that what we speak has power. And I hear so much lazy speaking and so much actually unhelpful speaking and speaking on social media counts. It isn't a vacuum that has no power. I believe what we say on Twitter, what we say on our Instagrams and our other accounts has power to craft principalities and powers because we've got to see a bigger picture. And I believe, how many of you believe that Britain needs to take hold of its mantle of leadership? How many of you want good leaders? How many of you know that as we lead, so goes a generation? Come on, we deserve to steward our children and grandchildren. I have two children, five grandchildren born, one more to be born. I've just found out November the 10th, and it will be a baby girl, and my little granddaughter, Annabelle, because we all thought it was going to be a boy. We all lined up, boy, boy, and Annabelle stood there, all of five. No, Granny, it's a girl, because I don't like boys. So the sonogram was done. It comes out a girl, so I've got this wonderful little Instagram where we told her, Annabelle, you're right, it's a girl. Yay! It's not a boy, it's not a boy, it's a girl. (laughs) So six little grandchildren. But it's for that passion that we need to stand up and craft away. So what does leadership, how does leadership work? Well, leadership 
again, if we go back to the Bible, works from firm foundations. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says, Upon this foundation of the prophets and the apostles working together is the foundation stone from which all other things is built. Other places haven't got time to do the whole thing, but we know who is the cornerstone of the foundation? Jesus Christ. And if you are a builder, if you lay the foundation cornerstone correctly, then the rest of the foundation goes well. If your foundation's good, your pillars will stand. If the pillars are good, your house will endure for generations. And so we need firm foundations. So what are those firm foundations? Ephesians 2.20 says, apostles, prophets. In, in other words, there is a partnership. And I believe in, in we need an understanding to put that apostles and prophets together. What are the apostles in everyday 21st century language? Well, the apostles are your builders. They are your hands. They're the people who are your strategists and said, if my vision is to see this. This is what we now need to build now. You know, already we're talking about AI, artificial intelligence. If we are to actually support the way we live, we need this, we need that. And so you've got your dreamers, who are your prophets, your architects, those who are your um, visionary architects for your next 10 years. But then you have to have the apostolic, the people who sit down and say, oh, come off it, you're really in the clouds now. There's no way we can build that. And they say, oh, but I can see it. Oh, but I can't build it. And in that foundational place, they begin to work together to create a foundation into which then the teachers pastors, evangelists, then build the house. That's what Ephesians 4 says, that we're given five different gifts to actually build a house, to make it mature and make it last. That's what our Bible says. I believe it works in business too. You need those entrepreneurial, wacky, way out visionaries who said, I can see. And then you need the practical scientists, entrepreneurs, educators, health workers, police, etc. to say, we can build. And we build a foundation. So if my apostles are my hands, the builders, what's the prophet? The prophet is your ears, eyes, and mouth. They see it, they hear it, they speak it. Pastors, the heartbeat. Teachers, your mind. Evangelists, the feet that always want to go. Come on, let's go. Let's be missional. Let's go out. Why are we sitting down? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Evangelists are your feet. Apostles are your hands. Teachers craft the mind. Pastors tend the heart. But the evangelist, the prophet, sees, hears, and speaks. That's what we need. We need not sound bites. We need the word of the Lord. We need to begin to speak. That's why I said, please, can we be careful about what we're saying? So what about these prophets? What do prophets look like in the 21st century? What do prophets look like in the church? Well, as I've, and again, I haven't got time, but as I've been through the 12 tribes of Israel, it's interesting. We often say Judah is the prophet tribe. Yes and no. Judah is your tribe of warriors and worshippers. They are known as the tribe of breakthrough. What about Naphtali? That's a prophetic tribe. 
You see, they are the dreamers. They were the mystics. They were the ones who sat on a mountaintop and thought of things that weren't there. Isn't that prophetic? So naturally, it's prophetic. What about Issachar? Issachar is the tribe that knew the times and knew what to do. Is that prophetic? They, amongst Jewish tradition, Issachar is the scholastic tribe. They were the real thinkers, processors, the strategists that could take. This is the time, so this is where we need to go. So yes, the Issachar tribe carries a prophetic. What about um, Reuben? The first tribe, known as the tribe of decree, the firstborn with an authority. Well, isn't there a decree upon the prophetic? What I'm trying to say to you is we've even got our understanding of prophets stuck. We think we just need the warrior, whoa, 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 shout out the heavens. But what about putting some Issachars? What about finding some Naphtali's? I live in Oxford, as many of you know. So I live amongst a whole lot of dreamers who are going to change the world. I love talking to them. You know, love hearing their stories and just letting them go far and wide. We've got some great Naphtali, but we've also got some real executives, some Rubens, some real decreers. We've got people who want to establish things. Dan putting borders, putting things. You see, what I'm trying to say is when we're looking at the apostles and the prophets, we get very stuck with our image of a prophet. John the Baptist, you know, with camel hair and locusts and weird. I don't believe that every prophet God's going to raise up is going to look weird, sound weird and do weird. And I think that we need to look at every tribe, and I'm, I'm actually doing this at the moment. Look at every tribe and look at the fivefold, because if God says you need five to build up, I believe in every tribe we'll find echoes of the apostle, the builder, a grace of a building within each tribe, a grace of a prophet within each tribe, a grace of the shepherd, pastors within each tribe, a grace of a teacher. Do you get what I'm saying? There's some homework for you. That's for free. So how, when we look at the bigger picture of our nation, are we going to, what are we going to steward? You're here tonight because I believe that God very specifically called you here because he wants you to hear this word because you're going to be part of the movement of stewards of the new leadership that God wants to do. He wants to birth something in you tonight. And he said this to me, and I want each of you to hear this. He said, you are to respect the divine connections that I've given you and steward them wisely. Because you see, all of us have got, we're connected to someone. And maybe you're sitting here, you here and saying, oh, well, I'm not like that. I hope to thoroughly decimate, explode, ruin that thought process forever. Because I believe every single one in here has influence, has leadership, has potential, and has executive power to do something Everyone is born to lead. Why? Because we're born like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is the most incredible leader. And we can't help but be like him. So right now, I want you another bit of homework because I'm a mean girl. I want you to think about what are the divine connections? What are the people you immediately connect to? What are the people that immediately irritate you? 
but are really annoying because when you walk away from them, you still are thinking about what they said because you're beginning to process it and try and work it out, even whether it was right or wrong. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You see, that's the leader in you that won't just lie down. It's saying, no, 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 but that's the big picture. Okay, now let's come down to the personal picture, the leadership battles. I want to talk to you. To the Rachel, the Helen, the Maria, the Jill, who I want to talk to you. You see, today I believe you're sitting here because God wants to absolutely reignite, redefine, and refire your God given leadership, your gifts of leadership, and your understanding of who you are in leadership. I felt as I prayed that God said, there's many people sitting here who just said, oh, but I'm not a real, whatever that is, leader. Or, I was, but I've messed up. Or, I'm done with it and I'm stepping back. I'm not as ambitious as I was before. I don't care anymore. And this is what God said to me. So many of you have been in a battle and your confidence has been challenged. You have been knocked and you've even lost some of that leadership position you had. Some of it because of mistakes you made. Some of it because of what was done against you and you were betrayed. Both and. But God said to me, there has been a strategy of the enemy against leadership. Why? Because big picture is Britain is called to lead. So who, if Britain is called to lead, how does Britain lead? An army of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. If the enemy convince, can convince us as the mother and father generation, the grandparenting generation, all the young people, you've got nothing to give and no one listens to you, how can Britain lead? Do you get what I'm saying? So you see, of course, the enemy is going to personalize it and he downsized it to you. And we can all say, yay, Britain is called to lead. You're a pioneering nation. How many would say, yes, I could be. But then I look at you and say, you're a pioneer. You're born to lead. No, not me. Well, then who? And so I have watched... An incredible strategy. I mean, as I said, I live in Oxford. I meet outstanding people. It's so interesting how many times you talk to them and say, yeah, but I'm out of it. I'm not going to get caught up in the rat race. I don't want to get done. And people are cautious of stepping up to the plate. Would you agree with me? You see, so many of us have a wrong understanding of leadership. And often in church, we are the worst. We have sort of downsized leadership into a very cliched sort of role that the leader is a person who stands up here and spouts wisdom, and that is a real leader. Am I the only leader in this room? Of course I'm not. But Rachel's a real I'm not like Rachel. Thank God. You see, if you're a visionary, if you're innovative, if you're a pioneer, if you're prophetic, if you can see the way, then you are a real leader. And I've even had this said to me, 
In fact, it was one of those classic things as I've been um, percolating this word. I literally had someone say it to me this week. And they said, oh, well, he's the real leader. I'm just a support team. So I said, okay, describe to me your job. And this girl, maybe I shouldn't say what she does. I won't say specifically. But this girl runs the whole curriculum and support system for one of the most outstanding Bible schools of this nation. She writes the curriculum, she hires, she fires, she crafts it, she does the student HR, etc., etc. And she didn't honestly, I had a rest where I said, sweetie, look at me, you're not a leader. You've got 650 kids out there all following you. You've got a staff of this side, etc., and you're not a leader. This school is in serious trouble. <laughs> she said, no, 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 I'm in. I said, exactly, you defended me. You're a leader. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? And so we've got wrong context. So I've come here unashamedly to mess with your heads tonight. I want to ask you, what are, what do leaders look like? What are these different types of leadership? Well, I've looked at the Bible and I've looked at Google. Maybe that's dangerous. <laughs> but I looked at both and I looked at top universities from America, from Britain, from Europe, from Singapore, from Indonesia, from Australia. In other words, I've looked at Asian mentality, Indian mentality, American mentality, European British mentality, if we're allowed to say that, and um, Australian mentality. So I've collected it. And so next slide, please. The ones in the dark are the top seven which all the universities put. And autocratic leadership was pr is pretty well visionary leadership. So these were the top seven. Read them with me. One, two, three. Starting on the left-hand side. Autocratic leadership. Charismatic leadership. Transformational leadership. Laissez-faire leadership. Transactional leadership. Facilitative or supportive leadership. Democratic leadership. Stop. Those seven were in every sphere. What do they mean? Well, autocratic leadership, and I've got the definitions here so that I can keep myself out of mess. Autocratic would also be mostly what we in church would call your visionary leader. It's the leader who stands out front, is very clear about what they want, holds authority, takes responsibility, usually makes decisions on their own without fully consulting. <laughs> It's the Rome. They, they like decisions. They communicate once they've made the decision. And the example they gave was Steve Jobs. Apparently, that's the way he ran Apple. So there's, there's the thing. Very pyramidal. The number two, this was by voting, the number two that came up from all these things was charismatic leaders. Again, in churches, we quite like that. I would most probably say I'm quite a charismatic leader. My skill set is not brilliant, but I can inspire you to do it. Even if you've got no training, I've got no training. I'm one of these terrible people who absorbs information, gets enthused, and can stir you up and say, come on, let's do it. And I could lead you over a cliff, but I could lead you to the most incredible gold medal. 
but it could be a bit dicey. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Charismatic leaders have powerful personalities, an emotional connection with people. They're an they're an they're able to get to the heart and the values of people, create trust, and cause a following. How many would say we need charismatic leaders in the church? We need to look at them and say, Jesus really matters. Come on, I'll show you Jesus. Come with me. I know I can enthuse about Jesus. My dad always used to say to me, a best salesman is someone who believes in the product they're selling. I utterly believe in Jesus, and I can be a charismatic leader when it comes to Jesus. And about serving the poor in Moldova and India and Africa and prophesying and taking care. How many charismatic leaders have we got here? How many of you have got a button that if I press it? <laughs> you can lead. That's what I mean. So, autocratic. Next one. Transformational. This was interesting. This is the leadership that you need in times of change. In transformation. When we're going from A to B. Like when you've got a building project. When you're starting a school, it was really interesting. Transformational leadership, it says here, unlike other leadership styles, love initiating change in organizations and often positional for a short while during the change and then lose their impact of a leader. Maybe that's what we're going to need for Brexit. We need a transformation, one who can take us in out and then their impact will be gone. I think of Winston Churchill. He was amazing as a wartime leader in that trans. But the history books, obviously never met him, describe that actually he, for a season. And you see, most of us overstay our time because we're fabulous in that change thing. Education, one of the, they give examples. Good headmistresses, things that turn around companies, people that come in for turnarounds. How many of you can say, actually, I love that problem, but once the problem's solved, I'm bored. How many leaders have I got like that? <laughs> oh, I can see you, Amy. You love transformation. You love horrible problems and sort it all out. And I, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> lazy fair. This is not lazy leadership, just in case you were wondering. But lazy fair leadership, which I found quite interesting, this is where... The leadership gives a lot of authority to very diverse groups of leadership, but able to hold it together with minimal or little interference. They said often it's the sort of leadership needed in research teams, where you're given a medical project. Get on and research it. You don't want to be micromanaged. You need to think and dream and scholar it. How are you in church when you begin to you hear a prophet? You need to just... Just give me a bit of space. I want to process this. I'm a bit more reflective. Hello? Do you get that? We need to set up a whole new children's network. We need to look after the children from 9 to 11. And you've got all sorts of teachers, and they say, what are you going to do? Can I have a curriculum? No, 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 just leave me a minute. Lazy fair. Leadership. Leadership is interesting. One of the things it puts, I've got a sheet here. You can have it. You can put it up if you're interested. I've just put together all sorts of information because I just found it fascinating. But one of the things they said about lazy fair leadership, it needs to be very secure and need to have good communication with their team. Transactional leadership. 
This is where really your interface between your prophetic and your apostolic, your building, where someone can, and it connects, often we use in our language, I would use strategic leadership. In other words, you can see the problem and you are someone who loves to supervise every transaction. We're at A, we need to get to Z, Z, that's my American parents coming out, um, get, need to get to Z. And so we need to do this, we need to tick this box, we need to do that, we need to do, do you get what I mean? How many of you like systematic administration? Accountants, budget setters, rotors, all that sort of thing. There's something in you that feels utterly satisfied when you can sit back and say, I've dotted all my I's, I've crossed all my T's, I've been a good boy today. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? How many of you hate that? How many of you love it? Now you know who to go and find. <laughs> Facilitative or supportive leadership. This is the sort of leadership that where you've got your autocratic or visionary, they just power out there. We're going to get this done. And you're thinking, oh, 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 they haven't thought of this. They haven't thought of that. And you come alongside to make other people look good. You don't sit there with a more British attitude of saying, oh, yeah, let's just watch. Glug, glug, glug. Okay, he's in a mess. Let's see if he cries help. But there's something in you that loves to come alongside to fill in the gaps where they haven't done it. For me, I worked in, when I was going through university, I worked in the hospitality industry and catering and that. And that was mostly my job the whole time there. I think the chef hasn't even thought about that. Where's the ice? What's this? What's that? And then we'd arrive at the venue and he said, oh, we forgot this. No, it's okay. I put it in the king. Oh, well, I haven't got this. How are we going to serve it? I put the platters inside. How you, you're someone who just comes behind and you think of the things that need to be done so that the show goes on the road and it looks great. How many of you love doing that? Come on. That's leadership. Because otherwise we go down a hole. And if you keep the show on the road, that is leadership. Do you see what I'm doing here? What's the final one? Democratic leadership. I didn't know if I liked that because, you see, I tend to be a bit bossy. <laughs> but actually, as I read the definition, I found it fascinating. If we're using more sort of historic language, Autocratic visionary would be pyramidal Roman. Democratic, most people in church things, would be more the Celtic round table. So democratic leadership is where everyone comes to the table with their ideas and you have equal value and it's much more the language one for all, all for one. And you're able, there is a clear leader who finally says, let's go with this, but it is a leadership style where Others in the team are very involved in the decision-making. Leadership is very centered, communicated, and listened to. And often, yes, we have a theocracy where we do what God is saying, but I also believe there is a team that listens to one another, and we're not pushing our agenda. We're hearing God's agenda and who's the best person for the job. Do you, do you see what I mean? So then the other ones, strategic leadership, team leadership, they cross in there. Cross-cultural leadership, interesting. None of the Western universities put that in. Singapore did, 
Indonesia did, India did. <laughs> In other words, hello, there are some ma major cult cross-cultural gaffes. You need to make sure we're talking the same language. English and English. I remember in my early days when I was speaking in America in quite a conservative church and a man who got very offended wrote to my husband and he said his details of why he was not too impressed that a girl had been speaking and his final paragraph and to top it all she preached with her pants on on a Sunday morning. So Gordon, my wonderful husband, who many of you know, answered his things and he said, and just to point out, my wife was totally under my authority and speaking according to my instructions. I clearly instruct my wife to always preach wearing pants, preferably with her trousers on top. <laughs> when he sent the email to me, I said, God, Gordon, I cannot believe you did that. He said, oh, I was just annoyed. I couldn't believe I said, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> but churches like that, we think we are communicating so clearly what we think. And we need cross-cultural, even between the church community, church commerce. So much of our language doesn't make sense. But it's not nonsense. But it doesn't make sense. We've got to learn to craft our language to communicate the gift of Jesus to Britain at this time. So have a quick look at that. How many of you would say, I can see part of my leadership skill there? How many of you would say, I'm a mixture? I would like to suggest we should all be mixtures because I think if we hold, you see, if I hold on, I'm the boss, I'm the leader, I'm not in every situation. Shut up, Rachel, sit down. This is not your time. Do you get what I mean? And I think God wants to say to you, I want to stir up that leader. So right now, I want us to just repent of something. Remove and repent that phrase from your life. Oh, I'm just a dot, dot, dot leader. I'm just a support leader. I'm not a real leader. I really felt God wants you to break that curse that you speak over your life. I'm a failed leader. I'm an insecure leader. Even what goes on in your head, I'm just a dot, dot, dot. Come on, let's lift our hands to heaven. How many of you know you want God to help you speak over? Father, we want to say tonight... Help us be the leader you've crafted us to be. Wake it up in our hearts. And Lord, every place in our life where we have downsized it, we pray, stir it up in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. There was one other thing I felt God wanted to say. He wants you to repent of being a reluctant leader. And my hands are up. Because you see, my problem was I grew up in India as a mish kid, missionary child, preacher's kid. Then I went to Africa and I served in Africa. We'd always been in pioneering situations. Then we came back to Britain and suddenly I discovered that I was called bossy. Bossy woman, but strong leader if it was my brother or my husband. 
Because I'd never really thought about the girl in me, the pink in me. Because I'd always been in pioneering situations where you got on with it. And so suddenly it began to get a bit intense. So I backed way off, stayed at home, shut up for three years. I did nothing to lead at all. Just stayed at home with the kids and stayed out of trouble. Until I ended up in hospital, really seriously ill in Watford. And my husband, bless him, dear Gordon, came to my bed. It was Easter Sunday morning. They discovered I had lumps in my breast. They thought I needed a hysterectomy because I was pouring blood. And I had kidney stones. So you put that together, I was in a mess. It felt like if ever, anyone ever had a kidney stone, the pain is unbelievable. Gordon came to me and he said, Rachel, I had a dream in the night. I know what's wrong. I said, so do I. I've got breast something. He said, no, 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 no. You've got, allowed yourself to get trapped in the wrong place. He said, I saw a picture of an eagle in a budgerigar cage. And you've denied who you are. And God says, get out of your budgerigar cage and be the eagle he's called you to be. I said, but I might get hurt. And he said, well, you're going to die in the budgie cage. And I was a scared leader because I had all the reasons in my head. They don't want me. I'm just a woman. I'm going to get it wrong. Or maybe, well, I made a mistake or I'm divorced. Or We've all got our little labels that say, I can't. And we become reluctant and we step back into a little cage in which we make our safety place. And God says, uh-uh, I want you out. I want you out. And so if you're in the room and some of that resonates with you and you're just saying, no, God, you can pick me. I want you to put your hand to heaven and say, God, I'm standing up again. God, I'm sorry. I've allowed myself to just back off into that budgerigar cage and I got scared. But tonight, in the presence of God, I say, here's my hand. Pick me. I'm sorry. See, it's amazing leaders in this room. But God, if you can use me, have me. And I'm sorry that I've downsized. In Jesus' name, amen. Why? Because God's got many leaders in his house. Romans 12, verse 8. Can you read this with me? One, two, three. It's the New Living Translation. One, two, three. If you're... If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, we look at the list. How many of you believe everyone in this room should encourage? Do you have to ask permission to be encouraging? Should you do it 24-7? How many of you believe all of us in this room should be generous? Do you have to ask permission to be generous? Should you just be giving? How many of you in this room believe you should be kind? And you should show kindness everywhere? Do you have to ask permission? Can I be kind to you? 
And in the middle of this list is... How many of you believe you're a leader? Should you ask permission? Do you understand? I mean, obviously, there's all the protocols of how you do it with all the gifts. But what I'm trying to say is, why do we take this out? And I've only read one of the verses. There's a whole list of different gifts. If it's showing compassion, compassion. If it's teaching, teach. If it's this, this. But suddenly with the leadership, we go all weird. But I believe that God tonight is looking in your face. He's saying, come on, you've got gifts. You've got a range of all sorts of gifts. Now, will you take it seriously? And I remember the day when I had to look at God and say, okay, I would not have picked me. I wouldn't trust me. I'm not even sure I'm the best leader, but if you really asking me to do this, I want to take my responsibility seriously. I don't want to play games with him anymore, God. Help me. How many of you sense that? So I want you just to stand with me for a moment. And I want to pray for you. And then I want us to do one more thing and then we're going to just come back. I want you to put your hands out in front of God and say, God, I want to take leadership seriously. Can you just do that? Just imagine he's giving you a gift and saying, God, tonight I want to stand in the presence of God and I want to take this gift. My crafted leadership of all those combinations of whether it's visionary or supportive or whatever it is, will you craft my leadership and let me take it seriously? Why? Because if every single one in Britain did this, can you imagine the leadership Britain would have? Can you just imagine in the church if we all did this? When you see your little kids begin to do it. My little granddaughter, 10 years old, and she was just talking about just some of the bullying and stuff going on in her classroom. And there was one particular, her bestest friend, who's now not her friend and playing with someone else. And she said, I can't concentrate anymore because every time I see her, I just think all these things, etc." And so... I was talking to her on the phone today and I said, well, who are you, precious? And she repeats to me what we say to her, you're the bestest girl in the whole wide world. You're a leader, influencer. You carry a grace which no one else can put out. So I said, so how does that work in your classroom? She's 10. And she said, I don't know because when I see her, it makes me feel bad. And I said, well, then you need to put a stop sign in your thinking. Don't take the stinking thinking and begin to rehearse who you are. So she prayed that night, gets up the next morning, goes to school, and the whole scenario sets off again. And then she comes home and tells her mum. She said, Mum, I did that thing about stopping my brain path going in the negative way. And I told myself, you're a leader. You're an influencer. You're a girl of great grace. And she said, you know what? The whole of our classroom changed, and that girl who had been bick bickering and causing all things, she stopped and at lunchtime, 
two other girls came to me and said, can we play with you? And it set the whole different thing. And I said, yes, but only if we can be friends with her as well. And by the end of the afternoon, she said we were on the team playing sports and we all chose each other for the team and we had the best day ever. Come on, that's leadership. <laughs> Ten years old. We break down every wall. We reverse every curse. We point a better way. We combat that stinking thinking. So now, by the grace of God, will you take it seriously? So, Father, we right now, in the presence of God, want to receive this incredible gift and take it seriously. Forgive us where we've treated it flippantly. And I ask you for every man, every woman in this room right now, that you impart to us your supernatural ability upon our natural ability, your gracious help, and teach us to lead today in our workplace, family space, community place. Show us the sound. Show us our influence. Give us intuitive, imaginative thinking to problem solve. Help us lead a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to give you on your way out, and Helen, maybe you can give, give them out. But I've um, I picked off, again, the internet. Do be seated, but we just give them out. And when you go home, you can maybe have a look. But when you're in your, in your home space, I'm giving you lots of homework because I'm a very mean person. But these are apparently, reputedly, the 10 most used quotes on leadership. I substituted one for my favorite one, which I expect you'll be able to spot. <laughs> but I want you to start a story in your home place, workplace, workspace, and I want you to craft your own leadership slogan. A leader is. I mean, some of them are, are here. Don't follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a burning trail. That was that one of them. A good objective of leadership is to help those who are doing poorly do well and help those who are doing well do even better. It's really interesting when you read these quotes and you begin to look at leadership, you think, oh, that's an autocratic leader, that's a facilitative leader, that's a strategic leader. You can begin to see. But apparently, these are the 10 best. But I'm going to give you homework. Or afterwards, in the coffee space and place, sit at a table and begin to craft. This is who, this is what we believe leaders are today. Even out of what's coming here, I think we should start beginning to speak, define it, craft it, establish it, decree it. Leaders in England will be dot, dot, dot. Come on. After coffee time, I want you to sit round. Let's begin to craft it. Let's rewrite history. Let's begin to write his story in history. 
And let people say something began to happen 2019, 2020. Everything looked like a leadership vacuum chaos, but so-and-so arose. Deborah arose. I believe it's time. So finally, just two things. We need to get the job done. Visionary leaders. And if you go through that list of 12 I gave you, you can see some are more to get visionary. You're prophetic, the first part of your power nation, the ones who lead the way, others who are more apostolic, supportive. But here's a visionary. Here's Deborah. She leads. Deborah chapter, Judges chapter 4. And she sent for Barak. And she said, the Lord commands you, take with you 10,000 men. Look at the tribes from Naphtali and Zebulon. Now, Naphtali was the tribe of prophetic dreamers. Zebulon was known as your businessman executive. I would love to shut in a room some of our really, you know, can you think of Lord Sugar and Dragon's Den with a whole new look with some crazy Naphtali reflective dreamer type prophets in a room with Really clear thinking businessmen, shut them in a room for the day and see what comes out. Unusual combination. I wouldn't put them together. The Bible does. Will you take the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead? And then Deborah Barak says, I don't want to go alone. Deborah says, okay, I'll come with you. Quite interesting here. Deborah, I haven't been able to pin it down because I couldn't find it. But what I could find is that Deborah at this season of her life was a judge, was a prophet, and was already called a mother of Israel. Those terms were usually used for someone 50 plus. Because once you were 50 plus, you were allowed to sit at the gate. You were allowed to give definitions. So she was over 50. Barak was still a fighting man and a commander in the army. Now the commanders in the army were usually between 16 to 40. So it's likely that here is an older woman instructing a younger man, saying, come on, Barak, it's time to arise. Can't you see it's your time to lead? Stop sitting down. You can't sit this one out. Get up, lead, because there's something on you. And then Barak summoned and Deborah went with him. But there was a visionary. She was able to see, this is what needs to happen. This is who needs to do it. Come on, get up. I believe that as myself, grandparenting generation, one of the greatest thrills I love is watching that next generation saying, come on, get up, get up. Just recently, I was in Regina, Saskatchewan. Not recently, actually, a while ago, but I was in Regina, Saskatchewan in Canada. And I was just preaching, a bit bigger than this, and then right at the back... I saw this young guy, and he was slouching against the wall a bit. And I thought, God's got his hand on you. And I did a bit of a Deborah Barrett. I said, will you come here? I discovered his name was Joel. And we had a big platform here, and he tried to hide off the back of the platform. I said, no, Joel, God is calling you out of hiding and standing you here. And I said, I believe even as four years old, you watched videos of Reinhard Bonker, and you began to dream about how you preached to thousands and influence your generation. And whereas Reinhardt preached to Africa, you were preaching to the Canadian um, uh, basketball team and hockey team and thing. And you were in stadium thing. And suddenly he just literally began to shake. 
And he said, who told you that? I said, no one, I only flew in at five. And he looked at me, cut long story short. I said, if you will step out of your hiding and begin to lead, there is a whole lot of people in this church who are waiting for someone to take the lead because then they'll find their place. Fast track forward, that young man stood up, went into his college, began to evangelize, started a prayer movement, evangelistic movement in his college, turned it around. They then began to have a youth club. It was over 300. Began to employ people, began to just influence all the um, colleges of Regina. He's now ended up as the associate minister in the church because the youth church got bigger than the adult church because he began to so influence what was happening. Because he stood up, a whole generation moved. But he had a choice. Come on, I believe there's people in here. You've seen people and it needs someone to go say, look, I believe you can do it. Come on, I will help you. What I love about Deborah Barak is like, don't make me do it. I'll come with you. I'll help you. Usually when you go with them and help them, guess what you do? You end up paying the bills. <laughs> you end up providing the resources. I know, I've been there. But you help setting the future. Come on, there's visionary leaders in here. You know you can't do it all. And you shouldn't do it all, but you know who should be doing it. Get alongside them. Say, come on, it's time. And then what about the facilitative leaders? Acts chapter 16. We should love Lydia. She planted the first church in Europe <laughs> or allowed it, facilitated it. And on Sabbath, we went out the city gate. We expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women. One of the women there was Lydia, a dealer in purple. She was a worshipper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer, then come stay. And she persuaded us. She said, look, I've got things that can help you make your vision happen. I've got a house. I've got a home. I've got facilities. I've got influence. Come on. Can't you see? And often we don't really believe people look the real thing. I was in Norway down in Christiansund, speaking in the dome, in the, dome, the cathedral in Christiansund. And this woman came to me, immaculately dressed. And I could see she was playing with her hands. And she had a... Um, uh, white band because I could see where she was suntan but she had no ring on so I said where's your ring she said oh she said it doesn't matter and I said no where's your ring she said I take it off when I come to church because I think people feel um, intimidated I said please put your ring on because I could just tell she was uncomfortable she put her ring on I said who are you she said I love Jesus but I'm not sure people really believe me because I have a lot of money so I said, no, tell me your story. You see, often we don't know how to let people lead. And she owned many of the bakeries business right across. And she had had an incredible encounter with Jesus. Her life had been turned around. And she has now become such a facilitator, enabler of getting people back into work, out of prison. She's taking them on. All sorts of people crafting with the church to do entrepreneurial work and create safe environments for people who have fallen off the workspace. Come on, maybe you know some people like that. 
who are incredible people, love Jesus, but they don't know how to fit into church. They've just got a bit lost. But I believe that God has got leaders in the UK for such a time as this. So I want to finish with this, stir up your leadership gift. Can we just read this last scripture together? And so the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Elziel, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. You see, there is a God-ordained, appointed gift, and then people recognize it. And so as we close tonight, bring the worship team back, unless, Marie, you've got something else. I wanted you to stir each other's leadership gift. I want you, I mean, we recognize, Maria, 25 years in the police service. We're going to stir that gift for more in Jesus' name. Come on, Maria. We're not going to let you sit down after 25 years. It's time to do more. I believe that there's people in this room. And as we stand to worship, I want you to move around and say, actually, I recognize and I respect this leadership gift in you. I've seen the way you serve in this way. I see the way you facilitate. I see what you do here. Or just turn to your friend and just pray. I want to stir up the leadership. How many of you understand what I'm saying? And I believe right now, by the laying on of hands, God gives us a gift. But we have the incredible privilege as people to lay hands on and say, come on, in this season, in this time, I give you permission. This is your time. This is your space. Hallelujah. Are you all stirred up? Are you ready to lead in a new way? Are you accepting and embracing your leadership? Yep. Yeah? Good. That's really good.